we're concluding what has been about a month, maybe five weeks, in this final series of Love God and Love Neighbor. It's a series that takes place in Jesus' final three days, and he's gone into the temple, he's thrown over all the benches and chairs and tossed over tables, and he's uh, gotten into this little battle with the Pharisees where he tells the stories, and they come back with questions to try to trip him up. Because the Pharisees, the Sadducees, everybody in the, everybody's trying to kill Jesus at this point. So they're all teaming up on him, and we get to this final story that Alex read today, where uh, they try to really trip him up, right? They're gonna have, they have, finally have a question that's really going to stump him, and Jesus sums up the whole thing in the way that we've been talking about it this whole time, which is love God and love people, right? And I think this, um, even though it sounds really simple, it gets warped. And we've talked through, through this theme for the few weeks, how this gets warped uh, in Jesus' day, and it gets warped in our world, uh, where such a simple message can just get twisted. I mean, from, you know, we saw again yesterday, white supremacists marching in the street who deeply consider themselves Christians, um, to people uh, over the last month who have been very clear that we can finally say Merry Christmas again, because, you know, we can say Merry Christmas again. Um, uh, we're not ready for that. Yeah, we can say Merry Christmas again, right? Um, or to a particular kind of exclusivity that I've been a little bit more aware of, which is um, one that comes with a particular inclusive identifier. So it's kind of, you know, we say we're really inclusive, and here at this church we often say we're very inclusive. But when it comes down to it, are we? And I think that's something that we need to constantly be asking is are we as inclusive as we say we are? Because I've noticed in some different forms that um, an inclusive mentality can sometimes lead to its own form of exclusivity. That um, you know, we're only inclusive to the types of people that are also inclusive like we are, right? Um, and that's something that we have to watch out for. And Jesus, even though he's been mired in all this conflict, he's really trying to drive at the heart of what the gospel And so that's, um, we're going to try to cover a lot of ground today. We're going to do three lectionary passages. We're going to do the one Alex read, then we're going to go to <coughs> Thessalonians, and then we're going to go all the way back to Deuteronomy. So if you've ever seen the movie Memento, we're going to kind of work backwards, all right, um, and see if this actually works. Uh, there's a passage that the lectionary made me think of in First John um, that I think the author really, he really got what Jesus was saying, and, I, and I'm just going to read to it. Beloved. Let us love one another because love is of God. Everyone who loves is from God and knows God. Whoever is without love does not know God, for God is love. In this way, the love that God has revealed to us, God sent God's Son into the world so that we might have life through him. In this love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent God's Son for our sins. Beloved, if God loved us, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God, yet if we love one another, God is in us, and God's love is brought to perfection in us. It's a really beautiful passage if you think about it, because he's, he's trying to weave this narrative of where does our love come from, and how is our love expressed? How is our love expressed? 
for one another. And that's really, I think, where he kind of comes at the end of this, is our love that we have not done anything to, to manifest is already within us. We already have everything that we could possibly need at the deepest of our core. Last week, we talked about true self and what is at our deepest essence. And I think that is clearly expressed as love. And that is what we have to offer other people. So, 1 Thessalonians. Uh, I'm also going to read, we're going to stick with the voice uh, translation this morning. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 2 is our epistle for the lectionary this morning. And 1 Thessalonians is probably the first thing that Paul wrote, uh, date-wise. So maybe just keep that in your mind, as this is one of the very first things that Paul is writing to to a group of early uh, Jesus followers, um, Jewish and Gentile. Brothers and sisters, you yourselves know that our coming to you was not a waste of time. You remember how we had just suffered through the brutal, insulting attacks at Philippi, but because of God, we boldly stepped into the open to tell you good news. And even though it would mean conflict for us, for we haven't approached you or anyone else for that matter with some error or impure motive or deceitful agenda, but we have been approved by God and entrusted with good news, and that's what we're telling the We aren't trying to please everybody but God, the only one who can truly examine our motives. As you know, we didn't sandwich the truth between cutting compliments, we told it straight and before the eye of God. We never conspired to make any single cent off of you. We just came seeking, we didn't come seeking respect from people or from you or anyone else, although we could have leveraged our position as emissaries of the anointed one, liberating kings. Instead, we proved to be gentle among you like a nursing mother caring for her own children. We were so taken care of by you that we were not eager, we, we not only eagerly shared with you God's good news, but we also shared with you our own lives. That's how much you've come to mean to us. I love how he writes that just so tenderly. Um, so as many people have reminded me this morning, I'm now 30, <laughs> 30 years old. I don't know if I can... I don't know if I can come to, I'm trying to say it more often so I can, uh, so it's a coping thing, I I think. Um, So um, now that I'm old, I was looking at charts and graphs, and I I wanted to show this chart. Okay, so this guy has this theory, and it's from a philosopher from the 1800s, but basically his point is that when you get older, time moves faster because it's a less percent of your life. And there's a story that I, I don't know, maybe I've told it here, but um, so when Andrea and I were, ju- we just started dating, she was living in Denver, I was about to move to Maui, and um, I, I, had fall- I had fallen pretty hard, all right? I, I was in bad shape, right? Because I did not want to be away for a year in Maui, and her be in Denver, right? So I'm talking to my dad, and my girl, uh, I don't know what to do. I'm going to, should I move to Maui? Uh, I don't know. Um, and my dad said, you know, I had, a, I had an internship, a year internship. And I said, you know, it's a whole year. My dad said, it's just a year. I said, yeah, a year to an old person isn't a lot. <laughs> but to a young person, a year is, so this proves, this proves this theory. Okay, so you can't really see it because it's a peach color. All right, so this is, if you're two years old, one year is obviously half your life. I'm good at math. So, so 
years are spread out. And then if, when you're my age, when you're 30, well, see, like, so here you have year one, and each is marked by year one, year two, year three, uh, what percentage of your life that, you know, one year is. So the older you get, obviously, it goes down to, uh, like, 3% of your life. So when you're 60, the years go by really, really fast because you're 60. And then, obviously, the years go by seemingly faster. Uh, so this is the theory, and so this is what I've been I'm not dramatic or anything about this. I'm not dramatic about this at all, right? Um, so anyways, that's, that's just kind of fun. It's okay, Ryan. I'll be dramatic for the rest of the All right. So I, I bring this up because, you know, I was talking to Andrea this week about turning 30. All the things that I wanted to do before I was 30, right? So I wanted to, uh, I was going to at least have three albums written and recorded. I don't have three albums. I was definitely going to have a PhD by now, for sure, right? Don't have a PhD. Um, and I was for sure going to have saved the world by now. Like, that was a given, right? If I didn't do numbers one and two, I was going to have, I was definitely going to save the world by 30. Uh, and it appears that I failed on that account as well, right? So I was kind of thinking about life and ambition this week, and... Uh, uh, a podcast that I was listening to was also talking about ambition, so it was kind of fortuitous. And uh, then I was reading this lectionary text, and I thought, oh, well, this is, this is pretty interesting, because I, I really started to think about um, when we're loving God and loving others. That's sort of the core ethic, Christian ethic, that we've been talking about for the last month. How does that really manifest itself in our lives? You know, we're all full of different passions and dreams and ambitions. Jen's got like a thousand because she's a three on the Enneagram. So we, we have all this like God-given passion and ability and, and ambition, right? So how do we use it from the, the, from the point of love God and love other people? And the verse that struck me, or a couple of verses that struck me in the Thessalonians uh, text was, you know, uh, we aren't trying to please everybody, but we are trying to please God. And then it says we didn't come seeking respect from people um, that their motivating movement in, in the earliest years of the church, before the church was the church, um, was their love for, for other people, that they weren't just trying to go around and, and please just anybody and everybody. And I, I kind of was thinking about that this week, which is you know, how much of our energy and time is spent just trying to please the next person or the next thing, or we're trying to accomplish the next goal, or, um, you know, I was trying to think of, or if we just had it, you know, we kind of use this in our culture a lot, the term it, or if we just did that, or did it, or if I just had it, then I will have reached it, and I was doing that myself this week, if I had just did it, or did this, um, and I think that's a misplaced ambition, right, it's, it's not coming from the heart of love God and love people. That's our centering motivation. Um, and what if we turn that way of thinking into can you believe I get to do this? Whatever that is for you. What, whatever that is driving you, your passion, your ambition, because the God-given ambition that you 
have is, is a good thing, right? It's just the mo- what is your motivating center? And that's coming from, is it coming from a place of loving God and loving others? Not trying to impress others, but just trying to love God and love others. Um, who are we seeking to live for? It's a, a core question. It's a human question. Even Paul was trying to, to address it and answer it and figure it out in his letter. Ambition goals, and I think even fear has a, a, a place, but where are we rooted? Where are we grounded? Um, where is the well that we're drawing from? I love this last piece uh, from Paul where he says, um, instead we prove to be gentle among, among you, like a nursing mother caring for her own children. We were so taken care of by you um, that we not only eagerly shared with you God's good news, but we also shared with you our own lives. And I think, I love that piece because for me, sharing the good news is sharing your life. It is being a whole integrated person where you're sharing your being with others. Um, And that's part of the good news. And I love that he used I think that's one that we don't often uh, use whenever we think about how God has loved us and how we are to pass on that love to others, that we are to be caring and motherly for other people. And um, that's very different than sort of the, uh, what I would consider sort of the male-dominated ambition that we have to accomplish, we have to do this. Um, Mothers that are caring, uh, they're just caring. They're just loving. There's no ulterior motive. There's no goal to set out. It's just pure love between mother and child. And what if we loved each other and loved God from that center being? Um, Even in the midst of our conflicts, because obviously we have a lot of things going on in each of our own lives, in our society. We don't have any problems, so we're good there. Um, But even in the lectionary passage, uh, we know that they early Christians, early followers of Jesus faced an attack. I mean, he even says that their good news, their sharing, is going to probably bring on more conflict. And how much have we seen today that uh, the work of Christians is going to bring some level of pushback, some level of, of conflict. So I don't want to to be too appear too idealistic that um, we're all just going to go around like others for each other, that there is maybe going to be some pushback to the work that we are called to do in our lives. And I want to um, now take us to maybe what would be a finishing perspective for what uh, our word is today with the lectionary. And I want to go to a passage in the book of Deuteronomy, which is not a book that we read too often or cover too often, um, but Deuteronomy 34 has this interesting, so this is at the very end of Deuteronomy, it's the end of Moses' life. Moses, if you know the story, rescues the Israelites out of Egypt, takes them, rescues them from slavery, and he's guiding them where? To the promised land, right? Um, And we'll pick up the story, um, pick up the story at the end of Moses' life. So Moses climbed up from the plains of Moab to the top of Mount Nebo, to the peak at the at Pisgah. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. On the east side of the Jordan River, across from Jericho, the Eternal showed him the whole land that would be Israel's territory. 
Gilead, as far as Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim, Manasseh, all of Judah's territory to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, the southern desert in the basin of the Valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, the fall of Zoar. And then God says to Moses, this is the land that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I told them, I will give it to your descendants. I've let you see it, even though you won't be going into it. God himself then buried Moses with no grave and no monument that the Israelites could use to create another idol for worship. So Moses, the eternal servant, died there in the land of Moab, just as the eternal had said. He buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite to Beth Deer, but, but to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, but his eyesight hadn't failed and his streak hadn't diminished. This actually is a sexual innuendo there. I'm, I'm not kidding. Have you ever heard that? So in the, uh, oh, this is so crazy. This is why the Bible is so fascinating to me. Okay, so uh, if you've never heard this, so it says he was 120 years old, but his eyesight hadn't failed and his strength hadn't diminished. In the Hebrew, that is basically, he could still get it up. <laughs> that's what it is. Can you believe that? Yeah, that's what was important. And I just said that in church. But you know what, though? You know what? If, if the Bible can say it, then I think I can say it in church, right? So there you go. He was 120 year old, years old, he still had good eyesight, and he did need Viagra. So there you go. That's the, that's the Bible. So if you think I'm making it up, then you can Google it. So, so God himself buries Moses. No grave, no monument, just died there, right before entering the promised land. And it's, I think it's interesting that that's how the, the book ends. The book just ends like that, didn't make it to the promised land. I, I love the line that says, God himself buried Moses. Um, we, bury people, we bury people that we love and that we, we grieve over. I think that speaks to the importance uh, of, of Moses uh, for God, for the people. But he's not going to make it to the promised land. But he's standing up there. I mean, you can... You can imagine it. I mean, it's such a dramatic scene. He's standing on the mountain, and God is explaining to him that, um, you know, I have taken you here. I have led you here. You, yes, you have done all these great things. Moses also is like a fairly tragic figure. He did a lot of, he made a lot of mistakes along the way, and he has this entire journey out of slavery into the wilderness, guiding the people, and a lot of the people that Moses even outlived, uh, and yet he's standing up, and he has this perspective on his life, which is, I've come a long way, but I'm actually not going to make it into the promised land. And I think that, um, I think it's really fitting for talking about loving God, loving neighbor, how do we serve in our lives, where is our ambition uh, rooted, what's it, our ambition rooted in, where do we love other people, how do we serve, and where is it going, where do we see our lives in the thread of history. Um, in the midst of conflict, I imagine us all standing somewhat on this mountain uh, with a level of perspective. Um, if you've ever gone through a period of like really harsh conflict in your life, I think 
Um, for me, at least, it feels like a dark hole um, where you just you, you cannot see out of it, right? That you're somehow in this bottomless pit and you're just asking, you know, for anybody to save you, for God to save you, and you can't see anything. And um, you know, the truth is God is, is, is taking us all somewhere. He's leading us all somewhere. Uh, and we all are in some ways on a mountain and always working to a place that God is leading the, the future generation and that we take part for our season with our talents, our ambition, our love, our service, and yet we're not going to quite make it there. In Martin Luther King's final speech uh, before he was assassinated, he actually uses this story to uh, create We'll just we'll watch this for a second. All we say to America is be true to what you say on paper. Let's go. <laughs> My eyes have seen the glory. Jesus summed up the law and the prophets. Love God and love neighbor. But it's a it's a rootedness in our love and our service for other people. 
in a perspective of uh, using our gifts, our talents, our passion from that center of lovingness. Conflict may come, yes. We might go through personal suffering, absolutely. Uh, we might not reach the promised land. However long our bar is on our life, however long we get to live and share love with one another, may we love well, may we enjoy our time together, and may we love God and love our neighbor from the place where we have received love from God. It's, uh, it's amazing to, to see um, that, we, that we get to see these clips of uh, Martin Luther King and realize that You know that we have we have we have come a long way, um, but we still have a long way to go. And um, you know it's a blessing that we get to take part in um, the ongoing Christian struggle of creating a better future for everyone. Right? We get to create that future. We get to be a part of the work of God. And uh, so I pray, you know, that we we take up the mantle of this good work that is loving God. Lord, we are incredibly grateful that you call us love at the deepest core of who we are, that uh, we actually have already everything that we need, that um, your love runs through us, in us, and out from us, uh, that we don't have to accomplish anything or attain anything, um, but we already are. We are already blessed and beloved. followers of you, may we love God and love neighbor. You guys can stand to your feet. And Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, you silence fear. And Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, 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 and Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, you silence fear. And Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, 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 you make the dark.
Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. 